Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Eamon Dunphy tells a nice story in his new book about his trial at Manchester United. Things are going along nicely. He's playing okay. He's been there for a few days at this stage. Then Matt Busby turns up one day. And of course, straight away, there's this sense of excitement uh, amongst the young Manchester United trialists. And suddenly, Dunphy plays a half an hour or so of football, better than he'd ever played before. And he says himself, probably better than he ever played again. Just because of Matt Busby's presence, he's skipping over tackles, he's picking out passes, he's making tackles, he's just gliding over the ground. He's some sort of superstar. And it was enough to get him a Manchester United contract. I want you, Murph, and you can to perform like that. I want you to give me an hour or so of that great that's, performance. That's not the, the Matt Busby There's no figures. Matt Busby figure in this well, no, 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 hold on a second, Ken. You know exactly who the Matt Busby figure Simon is. Hick. It's on himself. He kind of thinks of himself as kind of a. That might be what he what he was driving. Well, I mean, I, I don't think there's any other real uh, there's any other real uh, real reason for it, is there? I mean, that's just the way he, that's just the kind of guy he is. I'm not totally confident about Ken here, though, Murph. Why? I'm not confident he can deliver this performance today. No, don't worry about him. See, some players like him and Dunphy, you know, you know, in a situation like that, he decides that he can. He can produce that, that level of quality. Ken is all about consistency. No, I know. No, I know Ken's about consistency, but you're missing my point here. Well, probably because I haven't made it yet. Okay. It's the fact that Ken obviously would have been watching the first episode of Love Hate last night. and yeah. There's a lot of controversy <laughs> over this. That uh, Sunday night. Uh, Sunday night, yeah. Cat was not a real slain. cat. A bit of, you know, a cat in the TV program, yeah. which was not played by a real cat, it should be stressed, was slain, was gunned down by an overzealous young hoodlum. Yeah, and uh, the animal rights people aren't too happy about this, and I'm sure Ken. Apparently, just, ten people complained about it. Yeah, and you know, Ken, this would have just brought back bad memories for Ken of his real life cat Gulliver, who wasn't oh. gunned down, but was. <sighs> you know, I hadn't even made the link until you, until you mentioned that. Oh, my apologies, Ken. But yeah, I mean, look, it's it's I can understand the the the, um, the frustration and the pain of the people who complained. Hmm. You know, because. Uh, well, you know, I mean, it's difficult to know what to say. And thanks a lot for bringing that up. 
yeah the the loss of a pet is never is never easy you know and then maybe if some of your closest colleagues and friends decide to you know mention this you know across the airwaves bad start to the show is that what you're saying well no bad, i just i just think that maybe we could probably have mentioned it to ken before we started you know just so that he could gather his thoughts and pay tribute to gulliver instead of you know, shedding a few tears now, which is what we have to do, have to deal with. We're talking hiding cup shortly with Trevor Hogan and Shane Horgan. Germany versus Ireland this Friday night. Roddy Collins is going to chat to us about Noel King, a man who is managing the Irish team, who Roddy's known for a hell of a long time and has good insight on. And Murph, after a great hurling summer on the field, not a great end to it mm. off the field. No, not not. Very Tell us good. what's going on here. We're going to be talking to Liam Griffin, former Western man. How how could it be on that we have a second or a top division of hurling without the Munster champions? And the beaten Ireland finals, beaten only after a replay. I mean, it just seems wrong, doesn't it? And it kind of looks like the G have looked at that and said, "You know what? That does seem a little strange. Let's change the structure." So it's it do, it the the visuals here are not good. Basically, the league has been over the course of the last few years played with a six-team top division, um, and it was brought in, and there was big controversy about it because Limerick had been, had one promotion to the old eighteen division yep. uh, division one. And then we're told, yeah, but the promotion, no, we can't give it to you because we're only going to, we're going to cut the league down to six teams. And the league that over the last couple of years has been hilarious because with only six teams and uh, the bottom two teams playing a relegation playoff, everyone was basically in danger of either getting relegated. Going into the last day, there were permutations. Yeah, ridiculous permutations. But it was actually quite a bit of fun. Um, But now after this amazing hurling season that we've had, maybe they're looking at it and thinking, well, we have all these teams that are absolutely brilliant. Why don't we just get them all playing each other more often? So really, the argument is, is it's, well, it's interesting because maybe an eight-team top division is the right idea, but it was the wrong idea two years ago. And I just don't see how you can change it. They are talking about bringing this now. in next year. You yeah. can't, any, if you're in a competition, you, whether, you have to know at the start of that competition what the prize is at the end of it. Exactly. So if a prize or what the punishment is if yeah. you come bottom of uh, uh, the top division, it seems crazy to me that you could possibly change it after the event, really. Yeah. Cork were trying might and main to avoid relegation, a relegation that might now not happen mm. because of something that happens in a committee room, which seems very, very strange. Shane Horgan and Trevor Hogan are ready to go. Trevor, thanks for popping in. No bother. Uh, just uh, the Rickard Strauss news, uh, I guess the best place to start here. Uh, I, I suppose professional sports people are conditioned to hear certain things and you might be told that you've got a hamstring injury, you might be told that you've got a cruciate or something quite serious like that, but not many players are told that they have a hole in their heart as Rickard Strauss has been. I, 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 we don't know what he's necessarily going through himself, but it must be a weird situation. Yeah, totally. And exactly as you say, it's not something you would necessarily be prepared for as a professional because even in terms of the, the rehab, it, it's a really difficult one because you can't uh, get stuck into any training as such. And it's, it's just, it brings it home when you hear about the anti-blood clotting um, uh, medicine that he's going to be on and that, you know, if he got a cut, he could he'd bleed and, and it would just be an absolute disaster. So um, it's not like your normal injury and it's, it's just your your uh, your heart goes out for, for Strauss. I'd imagine his teammates as well. I know Brian O'Driscoll was wearing the uh, Strauss jersey yesterday training. I, I would have thought that they would be incredibly sympathetic to a situation like that. Totally. And the type of lad that Strauss is, a real humble fella, just goes about his work real disciplined and... You know, for him to be hit with that, I suppose for anyone to be hit with that, it's just it's just about the squad now just coming around him and, and providing support for him. And that was a nice little touch from from, from Drick O'Leary to do that. Shane, you were 
playing 2007 when Simon Best had his issue with the 2007 World Cup, um, which wasn't a million miles away, I guess, from what we're talking about here. Yeah, that that uh, that situation reminded me of uh, of Simon's issue during the World Cup, and it, it came to light during the World Cup it was sort of strange, and there wasn't a lot said about it. It was almost as if um, Eddie didn't want it affecting the the preparations for any of the games. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think we had other things um, that affected our preparations quite badly for those games. But um, Simon never came back from that. There was talk for a while, and this is the concerning thing about uh, uh, Strauss's problem is that. Um, there was talk for a while that he'd come back and he did all the tests and got it checked out but ultimately you know you're dealing with the, the most precious muscle in the body and the heart and you know you've got to really make sure that you're uh, 100% right and there can be no issues uh, with coming back because I think as Brian tweeted during the week that this isn't a, a sports injury issue this is a, a, a health issue and uh, like everyone's concerned primarily for, for stress you, listen rugby careers are, are important and sometimes you put too much importance on rugby but uh, health is, is the number one priority so we wish him a speedy recovery and, and hopefully he can get back playing rugby uh, but if not this is certainly a primary concern is him getting back to full health. In terms of the rugby concerns now for Leinster, unfortunately Rickard Strauss in a very clinical way is another man on the injury list there Trevor and very much a long term one at that. Joe Schmidt obviously gone, Johnny Sexton gone, I know we can't continue to bang on about these guys but Nisewa as well um, and one or two others Leo Cullen and Shane Jennings are also out injured at the moment and O'Driscoll apparently is 50-50. They don't seem to be in great shape heading into a tough Heineken Cup game against the Ospreys. No, I suppose the injuries are definitely uh, are mounting up on them now. Um, and in a way, they definitely would be worried about the, the, maybe the lack of intensity at the breakdown where Munster definitely got the edge on them at the weekend. Uh, so that's going to be a little bit concerning. But I'd say in some ways, something like that happening prior to a Heineken Cup can really focus the minds. Leinster base a lot of their Heineken Cup successes on their clinical accuracy at the breakdown. So it will just refocus them there for that area. I think they're, they're, you know, in those areas where they're... they're they're missing players. The big one would be O'Driscoll, you know. Um, so other than that, they're not too bad in, in, in the back row or in, with Leo in the second row. They've got quite strong depth there. Do they not miss guys? Like, I mean, I just I'm finished reading the Johnny Sexton book, and it becomes clear in that how much respect, particularly Leo Cullen and Shane Jennings, have within that dressing room. And they're while they mightn't, well, maybe Jennings mightn't start every single match. He's the kind of guy, along with Cullen, that you need for these Heineken Cup games. True, there's definitely a case to be made there, and, and the presence of Leo and, and Shane, especially Shane, when in defence, and he just he could be a great presence in terms of that line speed. That and Leinster are still getting caught around the, the pillar A B kind of close to the rook area. Um, Shane Jennings really brings it all together there. Um, but there comes a time when, especially with Leo, and like they have they have to move a little bit on, and they have to be able to, you know deal without their presence they're not going to be there every every game so and I still think if you look at the personnel in the back row and the personnel in the second row you're not you're not missing too much really and you have but yeah it's that presence maybe that that and that, that leadership in terms of the voice in the in the defensive line or in, in in the lead up to the week that you know might impact the squad Shane are you concerned about the about what Leinster are lacking at the moment um 
I, I, I thought there was a, a noticeable uh, drop in the performance level of the backs um, from uh, last week until uh, uh, over the weekend against Munster. Um, Brian O'Driscoll, I think um, it looks as if he's not going to be playing and he was really missed. And uh, all of a sudden, that 13 position, Leinster looked very light in it. Um, you know, with O'Malley now uh, having retired, he would have been a key man for this this game. He would have been absolutely perfect to step in, step into Brian O'Driscoll's uh, shoes at uh, 13 and would have performed really well. That option doesn't exist anymore. So you're looking at other, you know, what other options, what other players can you sort of fit? And it's sort of fitting a, a you know, around a peg into a square hole. It's not, there's nobody there that is an, a natural 13. I'd say, you know, the, there's a few options, though. You look at uh, Fergus McFadden could come in. He could come into 12 and maybe um, Doris go out to 13. I think uh, Luke Fitzgerald, I think they might really look at him at 13 this week as well. Um, although he hasn't played much rugby, but, you know, he's been keen since he was an 18-year-old to play 13 and he just never had much opportunity uh, because O'Driscoll was there and because he was so affected on the wing. Takiri's going to be out. I don't think the experiment worked at the weekend. Uh, I think with a big ass from him, you know, just coming off the plane and also being out of rugby for a while you know he didn't look particularly conditioned and and he's not a natural 13 13 for me is the hardest uh, position uh, tactically and technically to play uh, on the rugby field so uh, is it a blessing Leinster in disguise revolving around that player yeah is it a blessing in disguise that maybe Takiri got injured against Munster well, you know, he 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 was still finding his way into the team. I I didn't think I think he'd be disappointed in his own performance. He's probably just not in the shape that you know he wanted to be or he normally is. Now, if you're if you're looking for a player on a short short term deal in the middle of the at the very start of the season, then you know you're limited to the sort of players you can get. I think what it has highlighted is that there's a there are other options in that Leinster uh, backline and in the wider squad that might be a better bet uh, before. Uh, I, Half fit Lottie to Curie. Yeah, I would have thought fitness is the number one thing in professional sport, Shane. Uh, sorry, uh, Trevor, yeah. there's no point getting a guy in if he's not in the right condition. Yeah, exactly. It's it's it can be some hard, times hard to assess though in terms of what what Takiri seems to have is that hamstring issue and uh, maybe only seems to go when he's at full flight, um, especially in an older player. So, but he seemed tentative even around yeah. the field. It seemed like he was you know he was clearing out the odd rook here and there, but he was running the odd decoy. But he wasn't really. It's it seemed like he's a bit lost out there. I know it, it probably it was a bit of a gamble getting him. It's just a short term um, deal they were looking at him, so they just took a chance. And I think they probably were looking at him on. As a winger option to cover, the, you know the fact that Kirshner hasn't been over, and they could they could manage with him on the wing in some in some aspect, and to have to throw him in at thirteen there at, at the weekend wasn't possibly in the plan. You know, it wasn't part of the of the permutations. But as Shane is alluding to there, the prop problem is now they've got a little bit less time to try and, and, and suss out who could play that 13 role if, if Brian isn't, if, isn't available and, and he has, he has the, those two options of Fergus and, and Luke and possibly even Brendan Mackin as well but time is running out to have them bedded in I don't want to paint this. Yeah, sorry. Got, yeah, he has Brandon Mack and certainly as an option. I think if it's a dry track, he could be a very good. Um, he could be a very good option. He's he's actually performed well this season, and um, although he he still isn't as competent as you'd like your thirteen to be in, in defence, and I think that's because he hasn't always got as many games in the first team as he would have liked over the last couple of years. I think you know there might be something to be said for trying to to, to fit uh, Gosford and Madigan into the into the same team together as well, and I don't know if that's going to be an option. You know. 
know, that's what's the exciting thing about, you know, a few injuries or a bit of an injury crisis. It makes you think outside the box. I remember situations we played against Toulouse one day, uh, one time a few years ago. Now, it wasn't very successful, but Brian O'Driscoll was playing a 10. You know, so you have to think about what other options you can play and, and what sort of players you have, how adaptable they are, are they to play in different positions. And uh, maybe you might look at trying to get those two guys in the same team. I don't want to paint this too simplistically that Leinster are struggling and that Munster are flying just because of one result last weekend. But I was quite taken, Trevor, by how enthusiastic Rob Penny was after the game. He was really delighted with how his team had done. He was talking up Conor Murray in particular. I guess there's a contract issue there and he wants him to sign on with the with the, IRF, the IRFU to give him the right deal. But he described him as a genius. He seemed really, really happy with where his team are at. Yeah, I think that reflects how happy he, he is. It seems that the the game plan to keep bringing it up but it seems like Munster are, are playing uh, recognising what's in front of him and they're attacking what's in front of him and that's why he's re- he seemed really happy especially with Conor Murray because and, and Duncan Williams played really well in terms of that as well recognising when when to kick through Conor Murray did a lovely couple of little grubbers into the corner at, at certain stages and he also was really strong in the fence uh, he actually choked up uh, Ian Madigan for the last play of the game so that kind of reflects the type of player I think Rob Penny he likes and, and there probably is a little bit of that going on in terms of the contract stuff but uh, it just gives you an insight into the type of lad that, that, that uh, Penny likes someone who can be confident control the game and yet be really strong and aggressive uh, in, in attack or in defence um, so it, you know it was nice to see but it just it's, it's the wider thing as well Munster really coming together in terms of being able to you know use the, the right approach at the right times and uh, they really look threatening off 9 and 10 as well not just out wide They're away to Edinburgh uh, they struggled a bit against Edinburgh last year is this the kind of fixture that you think they're a bit more ready for now? Um, yeah, well, you you got to look at look. Edinburgh's results have been an absolute disaster. They're, I think they're bottom of the of the Pro Twelve, and they lost at home to to the Scarlets. So, you know, it's set up for Munster. But in, knowing the mentality of and the mindset of the, of the lads in Munster, they will. Uh, They'll use that now. They've got they've got the you know the, the doubters off their backs maybe to some extent, and they can just hammer home now against a, 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 a vulnerable enough opposition. Shane, have they got the doubters off their back just yet? Um, I think they've sort of gone some way uh, to removing it. But what I've noticed in the uh, most performances throughout the season and, and sort of they've changed or they've it, it very much depends on their opposition now I don't know if that's uh, tactical uh, nurse by, by Penny or if that's been a, as a direct result of the teams that they play I think it's almost if, if they're playing against a tougher opposition uh, with a, a faster line speed they tend to revert back to a more traditional monster game that you would imagine someone like you know Anthony Foley having a huge hand in where they have runners off 9 off 10 even off 12 and they have a keep on going and you know try and uh, outflank the opposition that way whereas uh, like that's and that seemed to be a lot of what they were trying to do on um, at the weekend against Leinster where they were you know also looking down the short side now that was really in stark contrast to me from the week before when they played the Dragons where I I, I thought they were playing that extremely wide wide pattern um, and they were playing it quite ineffectively uh, it was almost that they the greater the opposition the the, the more they realise that they actually have to pay a little bit more direct their pool is, uh, looks on paper to be easier certainly than the other Irish provinces, Edinburgh, Perpignan and Gloucester. Is there a, a certain pressure on there, Shane, do you think, to win this pool and to get themselves a home quarter final? 
yeah, but there's always there's always pressure. No more than know, any other year, then no. To, yeah, yeah. I don't think there's any, you know, any more pressure than than any other year. That there, you know, there people will look at at uh, the the level of competition in that pool and go, yeah, they they should be getting out of it. But you know, pretty much whoever they play against um, in pool stages, people will think that that monster should get out of it. I think it'll give them um, a confidence. I think they've got a fairly handy start off to um, the, the competition. That's always nice because you lose your first game or if you don't win your first two games the amount of pressure that builds up before Christmas and then you know you're caught, you can be out of the competition you know before you go into the last two rounds and, and it is a greater stress so if they, they go away to a, an Edinburgh team that is struggling they impose their game on them they, they uh, impress upon them um, the type of game plan that we saw more so against uh, Leinster than say against the Dragons as, as I mentioned uh, you know you, you could be looking at a bonus point win there and that sets you up really nice for the second round Trevor Connacht uh, against Saracens on Friday night in their first game Toulouse and Zebra the other teams in that pool there uh, any chance that Connacht can muster up one of those performances uh, you, you don't you, you look Connacht's backs are a little bit against yeah. the wall now you can, you can feel a little bit of pressure building but uh it, this is a scenario now that you, is, is is kind of exactly the one you'd want. You're, you're come, the, the best English side supposedly coming over to, to Galway, um, and if that doesn't get the lads up for it, well, not not that they're not up for it, but if, if it doesn't focus their minds, it, if to get an actual to get a win to get a result might be. It, it might be pushing it a little bit too far, but I think what they will be looking for is that the level of intensity and the level of um, aggression at the breakdown to to really drive drive it on from the start, and whether that can that can you know replicate the, the Harlequins victory they got there a couple of seasons back. Um, you know, it's hard to say. Saracen, Maybe just a bit short. You're, you're, yeah. You expect a performance, but not necessarily a victory. Yeah, well, they won't be probably phrasing it like that, but if they can produce a performance against Saracens, Saracens are playing a much more... Um, They've got much more options this type of this year with the, what the game they're playing. They're not as boring as as, as, as last year, but... You know, it's still it's, for for us, it's all about Connacht and the, the performance that they can bring this weekend. Shane Ulster against Leicester, a team they've done a job on uh, quite recently. What do you think this weekend? Yeah, it's a hard one to pick, actually. Um, you know, I, I think Ulster are sort of suited to the way uh, Leicester have played, and they've had a lot of good results with them again uh, over the over the last few years. Um, I have to say, I, I still I still worry a bit um, for Ulster based around the selection of Paddy Jackson at ten. Um, I just think he, he he isn't at the level yet to um, pull the strings and, and get that back line working uh, in the way that they can. You know, I think against lesser opposition, I think he's shown that um, you know his game is evolving. But um, I think there has been a couple of times this season where he's looked look very shaky. And when you have the talent that is around him, I think uh, it gets to a point where they can start getting frustrated at not getting the type of ball and not the type of distribution or threat that um, that gets the best out of them. So um, that's a concern for me against a, you know a very very able uh, Leicester team. Just very brief. Briefly, predictions on the Leinster Munster games. Shane, first. Yeah, I think they'll both win. Okay, that's quick enough. Trevor, um, Munster definitely win, and I put my have to go with Ospreys. Probably, just, really? yeah. Okay. Uh, the Leinster haven't played Ospreys in the Highland Cup before. It's going to be a whole new. It's a whole new challenge this group Leinster have got. I think. Um, yeah, weirdly they've built up a rivalry through the Rabo yeah. as opposed to through big yeah. games. So usually Leinster have got a kind of you know once a handy Welsh side in their in their in their pool, but 
uh, Osprey's definitely not a handy Welsh side this time round, and you know it wouldn't be a write off if they lose. But I, I just probably might I could see Osprey's pulling this one out. All right. I just on that on, on the uh, Ospreys game I watched that Leinster Ospreys game where I did it with RT um, a couple of weeks ago and I just thought if Leinster had continued the way they played in the first you know 15-20 minutes they could have really really put a score up on, on Ospreys but they got you know they started playing that really loose game and as a result they let Ospreys in and I you know the only reason I'd agree with you on many of the, the things you said there but the reason it went for Leinster is I think you know they will they might have learned a lot more from that last game than uh, than the Ospreys and, and if they put that into effect then you know they might might come out on the right side. All right, Shane. Great stuff, Trevor. Thank you. No problem. Andrew, that's the question. That's going to be asked. Answer tonight. Tonight. So now, come here tonight. Tonight. Into Wexford Park, and they just must produce the goods tonight. Tonight. Their team is better set up tonight. Tonight. But they just. The bottom line is, Michael, they have to do tonight. Tonight. Second Captains Football. Available on irishtimes.com Second Captains and iTunes from 6pm tonight. Tonight, 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 tonight. Ooh. I don't know about humour, but that, that's enough to get me excited about the Heineken Cup weekend. I know it's only Tuesday, but... Yeah, yeah, but again, you've mentioned Johnny Sexton's book. I mean, this has become a sort of touch uh, touchstone for your entire career now. You can't actually go through any... Inf- I mean, th- that was a rugby interview, but it could have been anything. I mean, you were going to mention Johnny. I mean, you were going to mention Johnny Sexton. Well, I was going to bring in uh, regardless, apropos of nothing at all that I just found hilarious in his book. Yeah, totally different. Which was him naming a lot of players. Hold on a second. Are you actually having... talking about Johnny Sexton's book again? Oh, hang here? on. What did he say? He named. Well, it? no, he was just naming a lot of players. I think they were lo- the Irish players who were in the extended line squad. And he said, "So there was myself, there were Zebes, there was um, Jamo, Dricky, oh, oh, Drico, Dricky, Drico." It was literally know, it, was the, it was the most um, it was the most amount of rugby nicknames in one sentence I'd ever seen. But I thought, Murph, I can't possibly bring in two Johnny Sexton book references today. <laughs> but were they just? Surely they were. They were just first syllable with O or yeah, first syllable with S. Mostly first syllable with S in rugby. Really? Yeah. Although, but Sexton what about himself, one syllable is, surname with the Y at the end? I mean, oh, well, it, y as well. Give me an yeah. example. Wally. Uh, no, that's Buddy. Wallace. That's Nicky, Nicky Butt, as in gigs, gigsy, schools, yeah. schools. That's, that's true, yeah. yeah that's, you know, maybe that's just a soccer thing. I'm not. More of an old school. Yeah, maybe not. Very excited to welcome Roddy Collins at the studio. Roddy, great to talk to you in our new digs. Great to see you in your new environment, Don. Absolutely brilliant to talk to you. You're keeping well. You are keeping well because you've been promoted and won the first division. Yeah, brilliant. And as the old saying goes, when you're winning, everything is great, you know. So from a football point of view, everything's fantastic. From a health point of view, Brilliant, and from a family point of view, super brilliant. So everything couldn't be better. You had it all wrapped up nice and early with it, with that loan. Yeah, we had 11 points to spare, which was phenomenal. Considering the resource we were working off, a brand new squad getting thrown together, I never envisaged this happening, you know. I guess we give it 10 games, and then we'd see where we can go as regards to playoffs. But it just took a little life of its own, and it just it turned into an absolute steam train. And the lads got belief, and we fell into a system that I've never used before. The players I had dictated the system I played, became very, very hard to beat. I mean, we'd done to keep 11 clean sheets, which was fantastic. We want to talk to you about Noel King, now the Republic of Ireland manager for the next couple of games. He's a guy who's been involved for many years in coaching. I know he's very well respected within the game. You know him for a long time? I know Noel, I would say, 40 years now. Really? That's telling me age, yeah. <laughs> I remember the first time I met Noel was. He was in the Richmond Stowers off O'Connell School having his lunch 
on his break from the exams of the P&T, <coughs> pardon me, the Post and Telegraph exams then, him and Hardy McHugh together. So, and I didn't know them then, but I listened to them talking about football, and I was uh, a young footballer at the time, and I thought I was very impressed listening to them, you know? Yeah. So then I got to know them through football. I always remember an old coach and kids when he was only about 16, 17 down in the home firm, and then obviously... Uh, around by the fruit market where I, I started to knock around a bit. Me, me girlfriend went to George's Hill School, Caroline. She went to George's Hill, she used to collect her. And right. I'd see the lads around there and just got to know them through football, him and Harry McHugh. And absolutely great lads, you know, really, really football, great football people. Most of the reports about, uh, I guess, once he was installed, he brought back a couple of players. Andy Reid was the most notable, and Darren Gibson, and he even talked about maybe opening the door for Stephen Ireland. So straight away, people were saying, well, it seems like this guy's going to do it his way anyway and John Delaney's already said look he's not going to get the job full time so he may, he may as well go and do it well I'm way. disappointed with that really, for yeah. starters yeah I, t- I, didn't, I, d- I thought that was a bad call to be honest with you you know I mean okay interim manager that's fine but possession is not intense the law you know he goes in there and <clears throat> he gets the players responding to him they get a result against Jeremy that's not impossible by the way because you know a Bohemian's cl- club went out to Kaiserslautern and with, with a part not part time but a very young full time squad of players and got a result out there and, and it was no fluke, you know. When you look at Glasgow Celtic going to Barcelona on a regular basis and getting results, there's no fluke, and all is capable of setting a team up not to be beaten. However, getting back to your, your point, well, just on that then, because you know, were we to go over and win in Germany, for example, that'd be our best result probably ever. Um, but even if we were to get a draw. <laughs> Would that alone be enough for you to think that Nogan could take it on full time? Well, it, the, the result you can never legislate for on. You could go out there and play Germany off the park, which I don't see happening, and be robbed by a penalty kick or something like that. It's all about the performance. It's about the response of the players. It's about the system that the, the players play. I mean, it's not going to be expansive football. Noel's not a mug. One thing Noel King is, is a very, very astute man, very astute when it comes to football. He'll know, uh, resurrecting the careers at international level of these other players, that they should have been already capped many, many times in between. He'll bring that back. It's not public opinion either. Noel wouldn't bow to the public. He's his own man. He'll bring them back for football reasons. He's, he's a pragmatist when it comes to football. He'll go out there. He said he's stall out. I mean, I would say you got to say you got to stay, stay a stall out there not to be beaten for starters. You're going to get a chance, no doubt about that in the game. If you can get a bit of luck along with taking your chance, you're in with a show. But at the end of the day, it's the performance from the players, the respect they hold from, and the aftermath, listening to the players, what they think of Old King, should be a, a huge telling point uh, for, for the future. Trapattoni used to set a stall out not to be beaten, and you weren't too enamoured by that approach with him. Yeah, no, but it was, it was a different ball game. He said he stalled out not to be beaten with a lot of uh, players that, that weren't constructive players. Uh, it was a one-dimensional system. You can say a stall out not to be beaten on with players that can then reverse and turn into an attacking force. Uh, uh, so Noel King, ideally... If the chance allowed would be would play attacking football, but he's pragmatic. Enough. Well, you won't play attacking football starting off. You play to defend for sure, but you will get your opportunities on the ball. Yeah. And you would hope when you get those opportunities that you can retain the ball as long as you can, either way into the time of the game, which is important. And that when you do get that chance, because you're certainly going to get a chance. There's no doubt about that. Ireland will certainly get one chance. What the scoreline is when that chance arrives, no one knows. But you know, if, if it can be a, a, a nil all or a one nil at the time to get the chance and take it, it just changes the perspective of the game. And at the end of the day, as I said, Celtic have gone to Barcelona. You know, uh, clubs are going out. If you play Germany ten times, you're going to lose probably eight of them. Yeah. But you've always got one chance. And as I said, the performance is more important than the response of the players to Noel is more important, and their opinion of Noel after the event is more important than the actual uh, than the actual result. 
the since we talked to you last, Roddy, the it's interesting times for Irish football because the the tenure of Trapattoni has ended, and they're talk, talking about who they're going to bring in now, and there's the committee and all that kind of stuff set up to to get. But that to, hasn't changed though. That sort of this committee situation. I don't know where that's coming from. To be honest with you, you don't you don't see why you need. I, I don't. It's committee. not needed because, in my opinion, we don't have a pool of a hundred players that are gifted, talented players. We don't have that, so we got to walk off the the the. You know, the, the the work ethic of Irish players, that's what we have. Play on their um, love for the country. Get somebody in who knows the Irish way. You don't need to be Einstein. You don't get enough time with players on international level to change the to, to change the world of football. You need people that are in there that knows the Irish way, knows how to handle the FUI as well. That's a huge part of it. Knows how to get the supporters on board and get the best out of those players that you've got. So this big process of going around the world interviewing Every Tom, Dick and Harry, in my opinion, is futile. I think it's ridiculous. I think it's a waste of money, actually. I think it's an insult to the good Irish coach that's out there that could do a good job. I mean, there are plenty of big, of you know, big-time coaches around the world, names getting linked to it, like Gus Hiddink and Dick Advocat and that. You think Ireland need to go the opposite direction, that kind of with Trapattoni, that's what we had, you know, a big name maybe who didn't understand Ireland, didn't understand the culture that he was coming into and, you know, maybe sometimes disrespected that culture. You think we need something totally different? I think definitely we need that because, I mean, the culture he came into, you know, whether it was through design or mistake that he he fell out with the the talented players that could be constructive players which wouldn't suit the system, whether that was a a, a smart move by Trapattoni himself or he couldn't adapt to the culture. Now, you could have the argument there that he's worked in different jurisdictions and it wouldn't be a problem for him, but we are a different race. I've worked in Malta, England, Northern Ireland, and the easiest place for me to work is in the Republic of Ireland with players I know, not necessarily know as people, but know the makeup and the and the mentality of Irish players, which is conducive to the type of football we're going to have to play. Jack Charlton got it right, uh, although he was negative as well in certain areas. He got the ball down and he used the, the mentality of the Irish people to go and win and fight and you know, scrap for results. And also, they could play football. He didn't allow them to do that enough. But we need somebody in that vein. I'm not saying a kick and rush team, but somebody who who will understand the mentality of the players and get the absolute best out of them. Who's the person? Well, it was Martin O'Neill for me. Well, I don't know what the breakdown of communi- communication is there or whether he doesn't want the job, but that was the one for me. But then you can look beyond that. I mean, you know, you could look at... Chris Hilton as well. I mean, okay, there might be compensation. He's not doing particularly well there, but he does understand the the, the players we have and the, and the type of way we, we, we need to get the best. See, it's getting the best out of the players mentally and physically. You know, coach-wise, you could get a million Einsteins in that'll tell you how to play, but players will look and go, yeah, that's grand. We know how to play football. But do we really want to play for you? Because at the end of the day, you've got to get the best out of them. And uh, I think someone in that vein, Roy Kane. I wouldn't look beyond, I don't see it happening, but I wouldn't look beyond Roy Kane. But can he get the best out of the players? Will they, you know, will will, will they um, accept Roy Kane back because of past, because uh, of his history? I don't know, but someone in that vein anyway. Oh. Roddy, another uh, maybe more important development is what's going on at underage, if anything does actually change in terms of grassroots football and the development of skills of our young players. John Devine, another man you know, know well, has been working on this for a long time and he his plan got a lot of publicity last week because Eamon Dunphy and John Giles got on board there. In, in a nutshell, he just wants uh, less competitive games, smaller numbers, more touches on the ball, more skills-related stuff. And it all sounds very logical and very progressive and John Delaney has said since that they might look at this kind of thing. Uh, 
Is this the way forward? Are you confident? Well, well, um, obviously, he's tried to replicate street football in a in a controlled environment because we don't have street football anymore, unfortunately. So I know John well. I've seen his blueprint, and it's brilliant. However, that's fine because it's John Devine, and you'll get you know other people jumping on it and saying, "Yeah, that's brilliant." But you're going to go to school by football on a weekly basis, and I do to realise that's not going to be allowed to happen because the competitive uh, competitiveness of these coaches on the sideline and driven the enthusiasm I would call or maybe too much enthusiasm uh, desire to win games is not going to allow for this to happen so you know it sounds great it's brilliant but I don't see any future in it to be totally honest with you the only way I see a future in it is if you take the coaches out of it take the referees out of it it's funny but seriously take the coaches out of it take the referees out of it give the kids a ball and let them play themselves. Yeah. That's the only way it's going to happen. It's, uh, the schoolboy clubs, anytime this conversation comes up, it seems like they're the ones, as you suggest here, who would hold that back. And I, I don't know if, if it's, you know, these coaches that you're talking about obviously work really hard on it and they want they want their kids, to, the kids that they have under their wing to do the best that they can. But do you think it ends up being too much about them, the coaches? Oh, are too, 100%. That, that is the case. Absolutely, 100%. Because I'm sure if, they're, if some of them are listening now and thinking, well, hang on a second, I put in loads of hours, I train these kids, I, you know, I do, yeah, why, I do my best. Why, why? You know, normally when you look, a majority of them have a, a, a spouse in the team, either a nephew or a, or a son or a daughter or whatever, you know. So, no, I'm not taking away from the good... Uh, the work they put in, the volunteer, the, the voluntary work they put in, but uh, I do see it. There's a huge ego there, and a lot of them believe that you know what they're doing would enable them to step up to senior level and do it with senior players. I've seen and I've listened to it, you know, and some of them would have more opinions about senior football than you would care to hear, and more opinions about tactics that you would care to hear. In my opinion, there are some very good people out there. There's no doubt about that who care about the kids, about the recreation for the kids, but the majority of what I've seen would you know, need a, a cardiac ambulance, uh, need a pitch while the game's going on because it gets so heated up, fighting with referees. I mean, I've seen a game, I actually I actually wrote about a, a fella in a newspaper article there a couple of years ago. His, his uh, attitude, his, I mean, his desire to win was nothing to do with the players. It was all about him going back, having a few points. This was under 12, under 13 football, going back, having a few points, and we won 6-1. I remember one game, actually, they didn't turn up with 11 aside, they turned up with nine players, one team. And I said to the manager of the team, I was there to watch, I said, look, go 9v9. No way, we want to win. Mm. Now, I gave the kid, I think it was a tenner in the goal of the nine, nine aside team. I think about six down after about 15 minutes. Mm. Battered. And I thought, well, where's the pleasure in that? Now, I know for a fact, because I heard him, your man went back to his local pub and he told everyone how, how they won and the margin they won by. So, I mean, it's not conducive to... Development of footballers, I don't think so. And there's no changing of that. There's no way over a number of years, I don't know whose responsibility it is, I guess the FAI's, but it seems that, like that's very ingrained and that's just, and that's human nature in some ways. So yeah. it's difficult, you think, to. Very difficult. Very difficult. Great idea by, by John. Okay. Different countries, not going to happen here. Just lastly, do you think we'll beat Germany away from home? Very, 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 very difficult. But, you know, football's a funny business. Yeah. Uh, Dundalk a two player said that in the first fifteen minutes of Germany got three. <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't. Under, I wouldn't. I wouldn't demean the players by saying that. In football, end is possible. You got to look to as I keep emphasising Glasgow Celtic playing in a not a great league, going to Barcelona and competing with them. We got to be competitive as long as we can in the game. You never know. With a little bit of luck, we could get something out of it. But at the end of the day, it's all about the performance and the willingness of the players to take on board what Noel will have 
will have uh, put into him in the last few days. Roddy, great to talk to you again. Thank you. Thanks, Owen. Any reason, Ken, to be optimistic about Friday night? Roddy what? seems to think that Noel King will be pragmatic about it and will understand that we're not going to play Germany off the park or anything like that. But could we possibly dig out a draw somehow? Why not? Sweden scored four goals against Germany. We saw that they're not that good. We conceded six goals against Germany the other time. We conceded no goals against Sweden. <laughs> so drawing a line through those three results. We'll lose by a couple of goals. I imagine we probably will. Uh, but Germany are a lot better than us. I mean, that's the fact of it. And most of the time, you play a team that's much better than you, they stick a couple of goals past you. Uh, so, But, you know, in the same sort of, uh, at the same time, a team which has no pressure on it and is maybe maybe a change of atmosphere in the team. You know, look, I don't know. Players no, the, the atmosphere is important. I think that the players should really enjoy this. There's no pressure as such. It's mm. it, it's it's one of those ones where you get to play against the best players, some of the best players in Europe, away from home in a situation where it actually there's there's not the strain and stresses of qualification hinging on it, but there's enough to get your juices flowing and it's a competitive match. So I would have thought it's almost an ideal situation for guys like Andy Reid, whoever ends up in the team to yeah. get and do their stuff, which doesn't mean we're going to win or draw. Oh, no, I don't think so. And, and also Germany don't have to... I mean, we'll, it'll be interesting to see what kind of team they pick because they're obviously already qualified. Um, the, what's at stake now is actually getting in the World Cup squad, which for German players is quite difficult. Yeah, and what I'm about sure they'll the, be motivated to. What about the spectre of? Well, what about the distinct possibility of Germany sticking five or six goals past us? Though no, I mean, that's not the sort of thing that I'd be looking forward to hugely. Still, though, you know, Cologne's a nice city. You've ever been there? No, I haven't been. No, lovely place. Um, they. Uh, do you they, want? Do you want to hear my hidden gem of Germany? Ken, Berlin, Dresden. Oh, Dresden. Dresden's a hell of a town. It is. It's uh, so I hear. I've never, never actually been there. Well, behind the Iron, Cur- Iron, Iron Curtain for many years. Yeah. Um, takes it's about a three-hour train journey from Berlin, but I would heartily recommend it. Coming up, once known, of course, as the Florence of the North, given its uh, uh, artistic culture. You don't want to know about Cologne? Cologne. Okay. Yeah. Cologne is a, is a sort of a distinct subculture within Germany. They consider themselves to have uh, an incredibly um, sharp sense of humour. Um, I, I love I love places. Hey, that, hang on, hang on. Like Liverpool, you know. That's exactly I've, what know, it's I've, like because they also have got a, a distinctive accent. So they're regarded as very much the same with, with the same sort of. Uh, the rest of Germany regards Cologne, I would imagine, quite in quite the same way as the rest of England regards Liverpool. They do, however, have their distinctive drink. Uh, which is going to puzzle and bemuse a lot of Irish fans, I think. Hmm. I'd when expect they, a lot of beer. When they arrive. Oh, there's beer, all right, yeah. Kolsch is what they co- uh, call it, like Cologne-ish beer, basically. Right. But they serve it in these long, uh, tall, thin glasses. Yeah. Like, you know that really thin sort of glass? Yeah. Mm. And they sort of, um, uh, it's like really, like almost like a test tube with a flat bottom so you can put it on the table. And then they come around and keep refilling that. Uh, and they just keep doing that. You know the way, like, they if you go to an American diner, they'll, like, refill yeah. your coffee? Well, they keep refilling your beer, but you got to make sure that you notice that they are still making a little note on your, just a little line. That's all it takes on your on your tab there. <laughs> it's not like the actual diner system, so just to watch I've out I've already bought one, one beer here. Just watch out for that one, Iron Fans. At the end hours. of the day, yeah, you will still have to pay for the cut. Coming up at 6 o'clock tonight. That's... Yeah... <laughs> They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist. 
But having said that, I want to be like me. But you know what you're talking about. What have you I'd say it to you, face. I'll say it to you now. I'm down Frankfield and we'll see them. What you doing down here, you Yeah, so we've been talking a few weeks ago about this the, the new wave of managers, or at least managers switching positions and to sort of freshen up the Premier League. And now there seems to be a whole new bunch of players as well. So over the weekend, uh, Adnan Yanisai rescued Manchester United against Sunderland. Ravel Morrison um, scored a brilliant goal for West Ham against Tottenham. Uh, Jack Wilshere owned. He's back. Um, he's not quite. He's not as new as the other guys, but he's back. And uh, scoring a goal to, as he puts it, repay Arsene Wenger for the cigarette that he had outside a nightclub. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about these guys. But what happens, Owen? Is it sometimes a little dangerous to hype a young player? Um, you know, when he's just done something really good in his first couple of appearances... Is there sometimes a temptation to get a little carried away? Richie Sadler is in on that. Richie Sadler is going to talk to us about that. We'll talk about uh, Gus Poyet taking over Sunderland and various other things that happened over the weekend, including Harry Redknapp's sensational uh, autobiographical extracts. Okay, great. Clare's All-Ireland win and the provincial titles for Limerick and Dublin. I've remembered that correctly, haven't I? Yes, Limerick you and Dublin have, yeah, you're absolutely spot on there, Owen. They all point to a promising era for hurling after a decade and more dominated by the big three. But, but by the big one, really. The big one, By Kilkenny, mostly. Yeah, it just so happened that the teams that, the didn't, that didn't win when Kilkenny won were Cork and Kilkenny. already something's quiet about the future. There's a proposal to add Cork and Limerick to the top division. Uh, now, it's not a million years since Wexford were where Clare are now. And the manager of that All-Ireland win in 96, Liam Griffin, joins us to talk a bit about this decision. Liam, uh, contra- it's certainly controversial if it was to go ahead. Is there an unfairness about this, do you think? Well, certainly there's a lot of explanation needs to be made. I'm not a GAA official and I have never been part of the official side of it, so uh, maybe there's something that I don't understand, but there's a few issues. To First of all, there's the playing side. Secondly, there's the financial side. And thirdly, is there's getting ready for next year's championship side. And um, if you take the first one uh, in relation to whether uh, you know it should happen or not, uh, there was a, a statement issued by Alan Minton in the 19th of, and the 19th of April, who's communications manager for the GEA, to say that the, there would be no change uh, unless there was a decision um, by Congress and it wouldn't happen at the earliest, it would happen in 2015, and that the positions as established after the National League of 2013 would mean that would stay exactly the same for 2014 and wasn't up for discussion. And suddenly this comes around uh, the other day in the middle of just the day before the, before the draw for the championship and just after the, the All-Ireland uh, replay. So that was a complete and utter surprise. So how that came about needs to be answered and somebody needs to say what, how it came about. And if it's all legitimate and above board and it's perfect, for that's fine. But uh, you have to query what's happened. And on the face of it, there looks to be a lot of questions need to be answered. One of the suggestions is that it's because it's Cork here. They're traditionally a power a powerhouse of a county. They are still going strong, almost won the All-Ireland this year, and they're uh, very powerful in terms of sort of GA officialdom, as you describe it there, Liam. Is that the sense that you're getting, that it's because Cork are involved here that this is happening? It has to be much broader than Cork, to be fair to Cork. It has to be much broader than Cork. That might be their desire and their wish, and I could understand them having the, having the wish and the desire. But I'm sure that... Uh, Harry Redknapp has the same the desire for, for Queen's Park Rangers to be in uh, in the Premiership, but unfortunately it's not going to work like that. He can't get brought back up again. So I don't know of any league in the world uh, that where it would happen in this manner. Now, the other thing that, that worries you then is that on the on the playing side, uh, I've seen the, the court chairman has thanked profusely the 
the, the President of GA and Pauli Duffy, the General Secretary, uh, for their assistance in making this happen. So uh, it, it suggested they did make overtures to him or to somebody, but was there a meeting? Who held the meeting and why did it happen? I spoke with Ned Quinn from Kilkenny, who would be a great friend of mine. I played with him and he, we were in sport in the same college in the LaSalle and Waterford. And Ned explained to me that they'd prefer a division of eight. And uh, I think Kilkenny have made serious overtures into this area as well. That would be my feel, my sense of it, but I'm not absolutely sure. And uh, he thought teams of eight would be good because he felt that the champion, the, the, the league, there wasn't enough chances to try out new players. Well, if that's good for Ned's goose, it's good for our gander in Wexford. It's the same thing for people in Wexford who are by... Actually, we're in, we're in, we're in, um, in, the, in Division uh, 1B by default because a few years ago, Cork were on strike, incident, coincidentally, and I think Wexford were the only team to have played them and we actually beat them. But everybody else were given two points for not playing Cork at all. And Wexford were relegated from being in seventh position in that league to being thrown out of that league and put down to Division 1B. Now, I have no difficulty with Wexford being in 1B. I think that's their probably rightful place because they couldn't get out of it for the last couple of years. But I don't see how Cork and Limerick, and I don't know how Limerick were chosen or Cork were chosen, because how were they suddenly plucked from Division 1B, where they now reside, based on the performance, and put back into 1A? Yeah, and it's interesting, Liam, you talk about one of the issues being um, preparing for championship. And I guess from Wexford's point of view now, the situation is that those two quality teams are taken out of your division and two much lower quality teams are brought in. So the, there's a problem there for Wexford in preparing for the championship. Well, there's a problem for everybody in that, in, that, in that league. I mean, in fairness, like the only thing I can say about that league is that the traditional 12 top hurling counties have funnily and coincidentally come right to the top in this year's league format. It's settled down to the 12 traditional teams that were always up there in that division. And it's, 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 that's the first time it's settled like that. Now, Leash have come back up into that division. Now, uh, there's other teams that have been demoted from that division. They're voted down again. But anyway, when Leash have come back up, they would expect to play Cork. They would expect to play Tipperary, and they need that. Now, I could go and say, make the point. I mean, I know it might be inconvenient for Kilkenny, but we can't, we can't run it by, by, by what Kilkenny would prefer. There's no, there's no reason why they can't fight for what they prefer in a legitimate manner. And I would have thought that should happen in 2015, as stated by the GAA themselves. So something has happened to create an elite group, and the elite group cannot be other than an elite group if you're going to pluck two teams from a division where they now reside on the basis of the performance on the field of play. And that basically is totally wrong in any sport. I can't see how that's even remotely fair. So, like, in terms of then, if we go on to the financial side, there's a serious financial implication for this for Wexford, and with no disrespect to any other county. If we get Limerick and Cork and Wexford Park, or Wyndham and Wexford Park, it's going to generate interest in the game. And all of this, I was on the Hurling Development Committee that brought in the Lowry Mar Cup, and that was controversial. We brought in the Christie Ring Cup, controversial. And we brought in the Nicky Racker Club, Cup, controversial. And we also made decisions that they should play before the Lawrence finals, and that all went by the wayside after a, while, a short while. But however, that's an aside. So, we keep changing our moving the goalposts around to facilitate other counties that's what it appears like and this smacks of that and because of that it's grossly and totally unfair Financially though Liam if you were involved in say the TIP County Board or the Kilkenny County Board or one of the Division 1A teams would you be looking at it and thinking look we're a very strong county we're doing things the right way but we only get to play it's a very small league we're involved in we actually need a couple of extra teams and we need higher profile teams in here uh, so that we can continue to make money Yeah but if it was only them that was involved we have lost a lot of money and to be honest with you our county is in financial difficulty and I could t- use this argument. We are one of the few counties in Ireland that are a truly uh, uh, an association uh, kind of golden hair boy because we play both hurling and football and treat them both equally. Now, that is the whole reason of the whole association, and we do that. So, like, it would be very hard to think you're being victimised because 
uh, of your, your, your kind of uh, being responsible to both codes because if we only played hurling like Kilkenny I can assure you we'd be in the first division I can absolutely assure you that we would be there if that's all the only game we played but we play both so it shouldn't mean that we should be marginalised but we're still able to compete after all we drew with the Leinster champions this year in, 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 the, in the championship in hurling we drew with Dublin and we also drew with Clare and only for a very serious problem with a refereeing decision in relation to Matthew Waters who was down injured for three minutes with a, with a, a need that's absolutely in bits and, 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 and the ref played on and, and, and Clare got two points we probably would have won that match I'm not saying we'd went any further but that's a fact but we can't be getting kudos for drawing with the Ireland champions any more than Cork can't get any kudos in the league system for going to an Ireland final and what do Limerick how do Limerick suddenly find themselves brought up there as well so the financial implications for a county like Wexford we have to, we've written a blueprint on Wexford hurling and how it should go and we've compared it and would you believe we're a million down over 10 years against the likes of Kilkenny in relation to finance so we've been victimised for playing two games now we lose it on the field to play as well so that's a double a double whammy for a county like Wexford and why wouldn't we be entitled to play Cork and uh, Tipperary in this year's championship and uh, in this year's league why wouldn't we be entitled based on results that's what we should be in the game should be about that and also we're always talking in hurling about bringing counties to the centre to the middle well we can't then marginalise them as we go forward with, leagues, with, with league systems and put them back into the margins again we are trying hard in Wexford and we're going to continue trying hard to keep developing as other counties are and they should not be marginalised because somebody else wants to earn more finance Liam, we been, need more finance too yeah it's been an amazing summer of hurling probably the best ever the best that I can remember anyway uh, is, does this leave a sour kind of aftertaste to it? an absolute total sour aftertaste because you feel that you're part of an association that somebody else is making up the rules that you must be you, you're going to have to, to, um, to, to have to vote on and incidentally I'd, I would think that if it comes to a vote there's a lot of counties there that don't play hurling at all or very little hurling will have a vote and they won't give a monkeys and they, and they may vote you know, in favour of somebody who's got the best lobby or whatever, which shouldn't happen. Like it's not, it's not supposed to be like politics, although it looks like it. And we we shouldn't be uh, like voted out by somebody else who's not even got a vested interest. I think this thing shouldn't be uh, shouldn't be up for a vote until it's properly done in a democratic way. And by the way, I'm in, I, I've been involved in hurling for a long time in my lifetime. This was the best national league that I ever saw played. It was the most exciting National League. And if the six teams things brought that, that to it, for example, Kilkenny won it having lost the first two matches, which is a tribute to their very, very good team, an outstanding team. And then Cork and Clare went to the, the relegation playoff, which Cork lost, and the two of them wound up in the Ireland final. As I said the other day in the paper, you couldn't make this up. It's fantastic. And now we suddenly decide to change it and marginalise other teams that are in the same, uh, that need help in the hurling area. And uh, that, that's really the core of the issue. Okay, Liam, brilliant stuff. Thank you. Okay. Liam, pretty passionate about that, Murph, and you can see where he's coming from his point of view. I suppose the everyone's fighting their own corner to a certain extent, but it goes back to what we were saying at the start of the show, and that is that it, it's okay to make changes, although maybe there are too many changes made to, mm. to league structures in hurling. But if you were going to make changes, you have to give a bit more of a notice period, yeah. I would have thought. Yeah, no. And, and then it, nobody can accuse anyone of anything. Yeah, exactly. You, you, you're you not can see that it's, it hasn't just been railroaded through or anything like that. Exactly. That the, the team that, got, that gets relegated or gets promoted knew that they were going to get relegated or get promoted based on that year's uh, performances. So, yeah, I mean, maybe it is the right decision. You know, when you look at it now, you do have a, a championship coming up next year where there are... The six teams that were in the All-Ireland uh, quarterfinals this year, plus Tipperary, all would think they've got a great chance of winning the All-Ireland next year. That's an amazing thing to have six, seven, maybe eight teams uh, b- firmly believing that they can win the All-Ireland Championship. 
and maybe we should have them all playing in a in a uh, top division that people will get really really excited about. But there is a way of going about these things, and I think that, as you say, railroading it through in the next couple of in the next couple of weeks is not the way to do it. Yeah, you can check us out facebook.com forward slash second captains. We're on Twitter at second captains, and you can also email Murph. Uh, which is, of course, secondcaptains at uh, irishtimes.com. We might put a P-Bezo out there on Thursday if people want to send yes, a Yes, definitely. We've been remiss in that area, and I'm looking forward to uh, paying respect to our immigrant brothers and sisters. Second Captain's Football coming up a bit later on. Thanks, Kieran. Thank you, Thanks, Owen. Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Kieran. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, fellas. Thanks for listening. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 